Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning and welcome to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Judy Como. Today is Ash Wednesday. We are actually recording this Red Sea Roundup an hour or so earlier than the time that it's going to be aired. But I welcome our listeners. I am blessed to be here. We have a wonderful show planned this Next segment, I have a wonderful conversation with Catherine Whitaker and talking about our faith life, our journey, and talk about her book, Live Big, Love Bigger. But in the meantime, I'm here in our station with our station manager, Thaddeus Romanski. Good morning, Thaddeus. Good morning, Judy. How is your day starting out? A little different. It was a little cold this morning when we it was surprising. Got in. It was surprising, and I think uh, I think the weather looks like a Ash Wednesday. It does. It does have a have a sort of dreary, um, morose feeling to it. <laughs> Thaddeus and I gray. were coming down the hall from different areas, looking, you know, coming towards each other, and both of us kind of, oh, it's a, it's a bit brisk outside. <laughs> Yes, indeed. The trip here, this was the beginning of our Lent in a sacrificial way. I want to welcome all of our listeners around Central Texas. If you're listening here in the Bryan College Station area, welcome to KEDC 88.5 FM. If you're listening in Palestine, KINF 107.9, welcome to our show Listeners over in Waco, KYAR 98.3, we're happy to have our Red Sea family together for Red Sea Roundup, and we want to talk about a few things that are coming up, especially we want to talk about our family retreat, that's the Red, Red Sea family retreat coming up. Yeah, that is March 6th and 7th, next Friday night and Saturday. It's finally here. Um, registration is still open. It's $35 per family or $10 per individual. And you get childcare on Saturday, dinner on Friday evening. We're going to have a fish fry dinner there at St. Thomas Aquinas. We're doing it in cooperation with them. We have breakfast and lunch provided for you on Saturday. The theme of the retreat, Judy, is living the little way. We're, we're offering a retreat that is designed to help you um, get to know St. Therese of Lisieux better, um, reflect on her little way, her spirituality, and then equip you to bring that way of living into your family life, both uh, between the the spouses and uh, between the parents and the children. And so we've got three three speakers that we have... uh, invited to come into um, the Brazos Valley to speak with us there at St. Thomas Aquinas on Saturday, March 7th. Sister Elizabeth Marie 
Kalsher, who's a Dominican sister uh, out of uh, the house in Nashville, Tennessee. They they run Forsati High School in Katy, and she's going to speak on the practice of humility and as a reflection of the the little way. So she's kind of the the little part of the theme. Dr. Leonora Butow, who is with the St. John Paul II Foundation in Katy, she is going to give us the overview of St. Therese's life and her spirituality, the living part mm-hmm. of our theme. And then the way is going to be provided, that perspective is going to be given to us from a, a Catholic couple and a family, uh, eight children, Juan and Johanna Garcia, they're coming over from Saint Tom from San Antonio to speak to us at St. Thomas Aquinas. They're gonna get kind of down into the the nitty-gritty of what living the little way looks like in the practical every day. Yes. It's a very great opportunity to hear speakers from all all walks of life. I so blessed. Uh, we've been a part of planning this for mm-hmm. several months now, and, mm-hmm. and uh, it was really fascinating to see the Spirit working within our team to um, just ask how we could best present St. Therese's living the little way and how we could all apply it to our life, no matter what our family looks like. Mm-hmm. We... Um, this is an experience that Keith and I had over 10 years ago to go to a family retreat. We, uh, yeah. And have been able to kind of morph that and change it a little bit to uh, hopefully reach some families to come and just, um, and we hope that it would bear fruit. This is our third annual family yeah, retreat. I think and, it's one uh, of the neatest things that we do. I, I really love that we we offer this, and I, I hope as many people as possible can can take advantage of it. Uh, Father Andrew Din from St. Joseph's in Bryan has agreed to be there for confessions and Father on, Joseph on Saturday. Well. Father Joseph and Father also. Joseph. Okay, wonderful. Mm-hmm. That's you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> we got Father Joseph as well. So we've got two priests available for con, for confession on Saturday. There's going to be mass in the extraordinary form, the Latin mass there uh, at twelve fifteen. Adoration in the afternoon, followed by the praying of the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. So there is going to be there's going to be time for intellectual formation. There's going to be time for spiritual formation, um, participation in the offering of the Mass. I think it has great potential for you. And again, there's child care for the littlest ones, and then there is actually a youth track mm-hmm. that parallels what the what the parents are getting for. Uh, four years to twelfth grade. Right. This can this can be an opportunity for um, to network to hopefully meet and spend the day with other families. We would love that, that for uh, people. We would hope that the fruit from this retreat could be a relationship that begins. That that's what we're called is to be in community, and we're not meant to walk this journey alone. And this is a just a wonderful opportunity to hear some wonderful speakers, experience our Catholic faith in sacraments and adoration. And meanwhile, our children, whatever age are experiencing that and and being able to go home and discuss it and and apply it to our life, especially right now during Lent. It's a great opportunity. So we hope that you'll 
consider our invitation and come and join us. Uh, give the dates again. That's the- March 6th and 7th. That's next weekend. You can go to redsearadio.org slash retreat to register, and we hope that you will. And so that's that's a homegrown uh, retreat happening at the beginning of Lent. And we also want to talk with somebody from our St. Joseph's and Bryan community, Monica Mize, to tell us about a retreat that's happening during uh, Holy Week. Great. Good morning, Monica. Good morning, Monica. Good morning. How are you both? Oh, we're doing great. Happy uh, to talk to you. Glad that you uh, were able to call in and uh, talk about this wonderful opportunity. Well, um, that is, you mentioned during Holy Week, it actually will start Holy Week. Um, So we're hoping that God has put that on our heart and that we schedule it at a beautiful time so that our Easter will um, be phenomenal. And so we will be so much more um, in love with our Lord, especially in the Eucharist. So the name of the retreat is Presence, the Mystery of the Eucharist. So it's it's certainly um, reminding us all that Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity is truly present in the Holy um, the Holy Eucharist and the precious blood every time we receive communion. And um, I think whether you're cradle Catholic or um, now just in RCIA about to become Catholic, we need to really understand that beautiful teaching of the church. And um, so we're um, going to start this retreat. It is a one-day retreat, like you said, on Saturday, April the 4th. It's the Saturday before Palm Sunday. And it will start at nine o'clock in the morning um, and end about 4.15 or so with we'll have the, um, uh, I'm sorry, exposition and adoration and benediction. And it should, everything should wind down um, the wonderful day at about 4.15 that afternoon. And it will be held at the Christ the Good Shepherd Chapel, 600 South Coulter Street in Bryan. Monica, what gave you the inspiration to say we need to do this? Um, I know, I know the answer because I'm asking it. But <laughs> since I'm working with you on uh, <laughs> helping to bring this, but uh, share a little bit about why you feel it's important to put this retreat on and why someone should come. Well, I think it started years and years ago. You know, God. Um, it's all a journey. And so I think God started this way back when, when I had my own children and I was trying to prepare them for First Holy Communion and remembering that. So we read the book about um, Blessed Imelda Lambertini, who is the patroness of First Holy Communion. And at five years old, she had the wisdom um, to understand that because Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist, and in the precious blood with each reception of Holy Communion, that we become true tabernacles Mm -hmm. for those very few minutes right after we receive communion. And that to me, when I, you know, restudied it, basically, when I was teaching my children that um, was just phenomenal. I just thought it was um, such a beautiful teaching and that I think we need to be reminded of it. So fast forward to a couple of years ago, St. Joseph's Church in Bryan was redoing their roof, and so they had to relocate the the Adoration Chapel to a more quiet place in the Parish Activity Center. And when I knelt there for the first time, I remember seeing a much smaller monstrance than the one that we normally had, and 
it was more ornate. It was um, almost antique-like. It was just lovely. And I noticed that in addition to the gold rays um, that surround the host, it had these beautiful little silver flourishes, I guess. And I had studied that, you know, when they do these, um, use materials and metals and things that they have to heat them and purify them and all that. So my prayer kind of went to realizing how fitting it was that we use all of these precious metals, these our finest, most expensive, most pure metals in the creation of something like that, that would hold our God, our Lord so that we could see him. And then I guess right after that, having known about Imelda and her um, view that we are tabernacles, I think I almost audibly gasped because Mm -hmm. I went, I thought, oh my gosh, if we only use our finest, most pure metals for those types of things, then when I received communion, how pure am I to receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity in Holy Communion? And I guess the next thought was, how worthy am I each week to receive? And that's where it kind of all started. Mm-hmm. Um, shortly after I found the um, presence material, I think it came through my email, actually, and ordered it without even seeing it. And when I watched it, I just was Um, very taken back. And I just thought, you know, as a (laughs) 54-year-old cradle Catholic, it just, there was so much I was missing to see the big picture. I agree. And And being a part of this uh, formation, um, I've experienced that very beautifully put. Um, The retreat is on April the 4th, be held at Christ the Good Shepherd Chapel, uh, Tell our listeners uh, how they can register and find uh, the details. Their uh, registration is online at stjosephbcs.org. And um, there should be a mail-in registration form if they prefer not to register online and use the credit card as payment. Um, And their $20 registration fee includes the beautiful study guide that the Augustan Institute provides, an adoration booklet, catered lunch, and then hopefully by the Mm -hmm. end of the day, a renewed fervor for our Lord and Holy Communion. Amen, sister. Well, thank you for calling in. (laughs) And listeners, stick with us. Catherine Whitaker after the break. Good morning, and welcome back to Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Judy Como. If you are listening, this is a pre-recorded interview with my guest today is Catherine Whitaker. I was very blessed to go to the Women's Conference last September, and Catherine was one of the presenters. She is a Catholic author, blogger, speaker, and freelance graphic designer. A sixth-generation Texan, 
She was raised as an evangelical Protestant until she met her husband on a blind date. I, too, met my husband on a blind date, Catherine, so we automatically share that connection. Um, As I was looking through the program to decide which breakout sessions I was going to go to, my eyes went to the description of your presentation about your book, Live Big, Love Bigger, Living a Hell Yes Kind of Life. And I knew that that was the one that I needed to go because I want to live that kind of life. So uh, good morning, Catherine. How are you? Good morning. I'm great. Great. Uh, We're here in the studio with our station manager, Thaddeus. Good morning again, Judy. Good morning, Catherine. Thanks for being with us on Red Sea Catholic Radio. Yeah. Thaddeus, we had the radio at the um, benefit, benefit. I'm sorry, the conference, and uh, yeah. Thaddeus and I were discussing which breakout session, and he knew that I was going to go to that one by just reading. <laughs> <laughs> so, Catherine, tell he us a little bit well. about you, and um, let's get this interview a-going. Yeah, so you mentioned that I'm a sixth-generation Texan, so my accent usually gives me away, and I grew up in the panhandle of Texas. So I loved being—so my husband and I met at Texas A&M, Whoop. which is where that blonde day happened. Yes, it's good. It's familiar territory. It's good people over there. And I think I just fell in love with him and the Catholic Church at the same time. And we have a lot of babies, so we are kindergarten to college. And my oldest is actually at Texas A&M. He's a freshman. And so we, um, we love being—I think in this part of Texas, we lived away for a few years— in the Midwest, and it was a beautiful, enriching experience for us faith-wise. And then to come back to Texas and be able to do that has been a real gift. And I've loved being a freelance graphic designer, working with a lot of Catholic campus ministry programs. So I sort of get to live vicariously through them, and I think that's really benefited me as a mom and as a wife, and um, as a, certainly as a Catholic woman today. So I wrote this book because I wanted people to know that they weren't alone. I wanted them to be seen and be loved right where they are and hopefully lead them through our story towards Jesus. Yeah. Um, we planned to have this interview about a month ago, and a lot of times I'll know what day it is, and I might know what date it is, but sometimes there's other things going on on that day that I may not recognize that it was Ash Wednesday. And if you are in the Bryan and College Station area, St. Mary's is not the place you want to be around on Ash Wednesday (laughs) because it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And most parishes um, have Ash Wednesday services, masses, and I find it very hopeful that people choose to go on this day, even though it's not a holy day of obligation, but uh, we thought it was prudent for us to get together and record this earlier in the day rather than having Catherine come here and try to find a parking place. So, Yeah, and we, don't wanna, we also don't want to leave out that booming and great Catholic center up at Baylor University at St. Peter's. They are doing some great work there, too, and they are growing. So all of our Central Texas listeners, this is... This goes out to you as well. Yes, absolutely. We want to welcome all of our listeners in Central Texas. You're listening here in Bryant College Station on KEDC 88.5. Our listeners over there in the Waco area, KYAR 98.3 and KINF 107.9 in the Palestine area. So we welcome all the Holy Land of Texas, as I like to say. (laughs) 
<laughs> I like that. Yes, actually. So your book, Live Big, Love Bigger, um, two, wor- two descriptions of your book really jump out to me, and that's Living a Life of Authenticity and a Joy-Filled Purpose, Love and Faith. Those, uh, that's very attractive to me. I desire to live an authentic life, and I desire to be joy-filled. So let's talk a little bit about the book and some pointers that our listeners can uh, apply along those lines. Yeah, the book really happened because of our fifth baby. So Luke was born premature, and that sort of turned our whole life around. And so I think it was through these last 10 years. So he just turned 10 in September. I don't know. I think when you go through, through something crazy like that, you either run towards Jesus or you run away from him. And I don't say that I run, that I ran toward him because I'm so pious. I just felt like I didn't have any other where to go except towards him. And so when we did that, we really kind of started to look at all areas of our life. You know, are we living time as a family with intention? Are we living our marriage with intention? Am I taking care of my physical body with intention? So all those chapters sort of have a universal theme. And I talk about what life was kind of like before Luke but also what it's like now. I've got a little bit of a sassy streak to me, so you hear a little bit of that in there, and there's a whole lot of Texas in there. I wanted to stay true to who I was. I'm a bad liar, so people just get me as I am. (laughs) And I wanted people, mostly I wanted people to see Jesus in our story and that they could say, hey, I see him over here in mine, or, oh, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, I see him here too, and that that would just invite them in to a deeper relationship to, to live to, to get rid of the stuff that they've been holding on to and to get rid of it and then to focus with intentionality on how can I live a life centered on Christ, but also how can I center it on Christ in my everyday life? Like mm. it's easy to think about how we can live piously, but I think how do we live with intention and reality and just getting up every day and living our lives and what does that look like? And so I spent a lot of time talking about that in the book. Yes. I um, do recall that it, the women's conference, you talked about some relationships that you formed spending so much time in the in the waiting room and in the NICU and how those relationships, like when you can relate to another mother who's going through that. Absolutely. I mean, you'd be surprised who you'd meet in the hallways at the Children's Hospital. Um, I met one of my very best friends who happens to be Jewish, and she is an amazing human being. And God orchestrated that without a doubt, every single bit of it. And I'm deeply grateful for some really authentic women in my life who lead me towards Jesus, even if they're Jewish, which I love. So it's been a great, it's been a really great um, free fall, I think, and radical love for Christ. Oh, I agree. Um, It's about, well, it's exactly five years ago uh, on the 20th that my close friend experienced in six hours being paralyzed from the waist down. And I walked with her, uh, spent a lot of time in the medical center with some, with her and with other friends. And when you go to Houston and you can stand on Texas children and see Methodist and see the other hospitals and the comings and goings, and um, it really helps you realize what's really important in this life and other things that are just stuff just things that are happening. Yeah. I mean, I think we see that, like we see a veil, I think many times in normal life between us and Jesus. But when you were that close to him, it's almost like the veil isn't there. Like that's the one time in my life that I have felt 
the, the absolute closest to him. It was the time that I felt the most broken and the most unworthy, but it was the time that I certainly felt like I wasn't living my own life, that God was leading me towards it. And yeah, I mean, when you strip all that stuff away, you finally get really real about what's really going on in your life and what Mm -hmm. really matters. And I hope that we've been able, I mean, every day, I hope that we are able to take what that feeling, what that felt like and what that relationship looked like and be able to carry it with us. Not Not that we're living a state of constant panic, but that we're living in a state of just really intentional grace. Exactly. Really, really focused on Jesus. Yeah. It's hard to do. Um, I I recall being, you know, you know what, I've got to call this person and reconcile. You know, you, you can not speak to somebody and t- enough time will go by. You don't even remember why. But it's become a habit to have that relationship broken and just say, uh, put it on the back burner. And I use that for some opportunity to um, mend some fences. And uh, it was a real blessing and continues to be. But um, you you make a statement in the book about saying no, how to uh, choosing to say no. And the only way that you'll be able to say yes to what really matters. And I, I think that that... Um, is an interesting concept. I know Matthew Kelly kind of alludes to some of that in several of his books, but saying no to one thing, you're really saying yes to another and how that played out in this situation. We certainly, I think had felt like I had an unlimited supply of yeses. Like I could just pass them out like Oprah does, you know, like you get a yes (laughs) and you get a yes. Everybody gets a yes. And when you do that, I mean, there's, there's an opportunity cost to that. People, people are suffering when you say yes, because you're saying no to them. And you have to decide, like, is that trade-off worth it? And I think for a long time, I felt like it was worth it until we had Luke. And then I thought, what the heck am I doing here? Like, I am passing out all these yeses, yet I'm neglecting the people in my own home. I'm neglecting myself. I'm neglecting my marriage. Like, we have got to figure this out. And so that's when I talk about living a hell yes kind of life. Like, make your yeses mean something. Like, when you say yes, be passionate about it. It should be a hell yes. Mm-hmm. So that when you say that, the no doesn't seem so hard because, boy, you feel called to that yes because you feel God leading you towards that. And, I mean, and that's in the everyday yeses that we make. That's also in the hard yeses that we have to make, you know, going to marriage counseling or, you know, navigating through the NICU and, and all the special system. But, you know, sometimes those hell yeses are hard. But I feel like we just sort of lackadaisically say, yeah, I'll do that out of either guilt or obligation. And I was tired of living a life like that, to be honest, Judy. I mean, that's that's not really living. That's just sort of sustaining that status quo. And I didn't want to live a life like that anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes things kind of help you start looking at that. I mean, as I uh, said earlier, my husband is in formation to become a deacon and um, we're beginning our fourth year. But prior to that, we had three years of going to uh, Project Stephen, which we went to Austin once a month and s- discerning whether this call. And so they start telling you, uh, you need to start backing out of some ministries and like almost your yeses can become very prideful and it can become very, keeping on, keeping on, and you got your family going, and he goes here, and you go there, and this gets done, and you get that schedule out, and all of this, and so out of obedience, kind of started letting go of some things that I was in charge of, and over the years, 
like I think now, wow, I used to do this and I used to do that. And how did I do it? And discerning God's will in your life. Well, he must want me to do this because he's helping me do it. Otherwise, I couldn't. But then you start backing out of them and you just really see things in a different perspective. We're just in a different season that this formation and whatever that looks like for everyone in formation, this is what our picture looks like in our season and how to do that. That's exactly what I was getting ready to say. I mean, I think it depends on your your season. I mean, I was thinking the other day, so because of our youngest is in kindergarten, I was thinking about what was it like to have five kids under eight? And I just remember thinking, how do we do that? But it's a totally different season. My yeses looked very different then than they do now. And it, that as it should be, I should be growing and changing, hopefully growing in wisdom and in an experience, having lived through some things and being uh, more selective about what I say yes and no to. But I mean, everybody has a different season. So I think the challenge is, Judy, is that we look at other people's yeses and nos, and we try to compare them to our yeses and nos, but we forget the critical piece, which is the season and the life status that they may be on may be vastly different than ours, but yet we hold up their lives as a roadmap for our own instead of like keeping our eyes on our own paper and saying, okay, I'm inspired by that. I'm encouraged by that. And then how do I apply that in my own life? We have to quit looking at other people to dictate our yeses and nos and look to Christ instead. Exactly. But, I, you know, a good spiritual director is uh, highly recommended and surrounding yourself by um, other people who are striving, striving for holiness, leaning in, leaning in. Um, I I listened to a bit of your uh, interview with Jen Fulweiler. I'm not really sure when that was because I'm not that good of a researcher, but uh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) <laughs> y'all uh, certainly had a blast, and it was felt like I was sitting in the same room with y'all listening to that. But um, one, at one point, you were talking about uh, grace in your life and the fact that God always front loads the grace. And I just love that description of grace in our life and how when you start looking back with the eyes of wow, that happened because this happened and today happened and blah, blah, blah. But I just think it's a fascinating way to look at at our intentionality of what we do and how we do it and how God's in the middle of it. I would love to say that that was all my own brain that came <laughs> up with that. But that, but that really providentially came um, our Catholic school here in Austin underwent a series of really tragic, difficult deaths in in the span of about six weeks. So students, siblings, uh, family members, it was, it was brutal. And one of the dads of one of the children that passed away, he and I were visiting about a week after his son passed away. And he said to me, the grace always outweighs the suffering always. And as I listened to Benoit say that, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing in his voice and I'm seeing it transpire like right before my eyes, like, grace upon grace. And that as you looked back over these last several years that these families have been a part of our school, I mean, you could see that God was just loading it, like front loading it all. I mean, you could just tangibly see it. And then when this happened, it was like, everybody was like, and now we need to go to the first national bank of grace. Like Mm -hmm. we need, we need some support here. And it was so beautiful. And I've never, I've never experienced anything quite that beautiful, as difficult and as horrific as it was it was also deeply faith-filled. 
And I credit Benoit with helping me recognize that I could look back and see, oh, there's the grace. God is so good at that. And we don't give him enough credit until later. We try to kind of berate him through the through the process. And then we look back and we're like, oh, you did know what you were doing. So eventually we figure it out that he really does know what he's doing. We just have to lean into it. And it's such a hard lean. I, uh, yeah, it's super hard. But at the same time, I love that that's a gift that he gives us of grace. It's a, it's a transformative gift. Uh, I agree uh, 100%. I really try to have some uh, schedule to my faith life. What I mean by that is I, uh, I'll have spiritual direction early in the month, and I try to go to reconciliation about two weeks later. So I'm kind of keeping my battery charged in my faith life. It really helps keep me on track. Um, Matthew Kelly came here about five years ago, and some of the things that he talked about four signs of a dynamic Catholic, you know, do this, do this, do this. It helps you here and there. And I was kind of doing that checkbox thing. And I, I read the Bible all day, uh, every day. I already do my mass journal. And when <laughs> the wheels came to a screeching halt when it came to monthly reconciliation, and I'm like, uh-oh, <laughs> now I have to start doing that. But to look back on that, and uh, of course, I need to go that often or more because of the sin in my life, but realizing that is a well to dip my bucket in of grace and how it helps me get through the day to day. And I've had a couple of like Christmas time being around both families. I need the grace to resist what could happen. I need to, so I'm going to that God loading the free front loading the grace for protection and how how that has really helped me in my faith life to recognize grace and depend upon it because he's a very generous God and will always, as you say, front load the grace. Love that. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, later on in your interview, y'all also started discussing Mass, another opportunity, the greatest the Blessed Sacrament, but uh, talking about um, how sometimes we look at offertory like intermission. <laughs> yeah, and that's Father Brian McMaster. That's his line. It stuck with me, though. It stuck with me. Yeah, he was talking about that normally that's when we all like take a break, like go to the bathroom, do this. And he said, instead, bring the burdens that you carry with you and mm-hmm. set them at the foot of the altar when they bring up the gifts. And boy, did that blow open that whole part of the Mass. I think I did. I was like, oh, this is the transition time. For years, I mean, I've been Catholic for 23 years. So I was like, oh, this is the transition time. And when he said that, I went, okay, like, total light bulb moment. And Jen and I did. We were talking about that on the radio. We had a good laugh about what we're doing with our kids and how they're trying to steal money on the offertory basket and money spilling everywhere. I'm like, I'm just trying to focus on Jesus, y'all. And then when we talked about, you know, what's it like? What's it like to sit in the church and say, Jesus, I got a lot on my heart, but I'm just going to give it to you, and I'm going to set it there at the foot of the altar, and then we're going to celebrate the liturgy of the Eucharist. I mean, it's such a it's such a beautiful way to shift your mind um, after hearing the word, and then laying your burdens down, and then receiving cross. It's it's beautiful, and I credit Father Brown with that. It was it was definitely an aha moment when he shared that in mass. Absolutely, and 
if we start looking for those little benchmark times throughout the mass to continue to bring our focus back, I mean, I, I can be dry. I live 20 minutes from anywhere and uh, be praying the rosary on the way or just start that intentions of the mass and carrying an intention throughout the whole mass. Father Ryan, <clears throat> who is now at... St. Louis in Waco, spent some time around the Bryan College Station area, and uh, I was listening and how, you know, most churches have an intention book, and, you know, I every time I see one, I, I decided to, instead of going off what is actually happening in the day-to-day, I found a theme that each each one of those intentions came back to needing peace and healing. And so I just decided, rather than giving this laundry list of what I wanted to accomplish, you know, telling God, I just continued to focus on asking for peace and healing. Everything could kind of be reconciled into those two categories. And at the beginning of the Mass, remembering, asking for peace and healing, and at the at the offertory, at the intermission, bringing that <laughs> up on with the with the offerings and during the consecration, continuing to just focus and then being sent with the intentions for me was peace and healing and uh, how much more beneficial the mass, the mass could be um, if we can try to do that. And I could, you know, hoping, okay, here comes getting in line and let it be the, you know, the most powerful and then squirrel. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> exactly. Yes, I have six squirrels that, that keep me from focusing every time it feels like. Very good. Well, as um, today is Ash Wednesday, and we begin this beautiful season of Lent, um, I was blessed to run into your blog post yesterday uh, of some other people, and but I had researched, and you I think several years ago you have a, a link on your website that talks about Lent. And um, I know that our Lenten sacrifices should not be a checkbox, but going back to all my years of youth ministry and trying to provide our our youth with some interesting or something that would make their Lent, help their Lent to be different, and I printed out some 66 ideas that you had, and I was like... I like having that, just a glance at it and say, today I'm going to try to tackle one of these things and let my Lenten uh, be shaped by other things. But uh, from a convert to Catholicism, I think your perspective is very interesting. So um, when you when you talked about, number one, it's not just for Catholics. We can all try to uh, encourage our friends uh, to embrace the reasons behind Lent. Yeah, I mean, certainly growing up Protestant, Judy, I mean, I Easter was obviously a huge deal for us, but we never really talked about Lent. Like, I didn't even know what Ash Wednesday was. We certainly didn't talk about Lent as a season. It was mostly just focusing on Holy Week and Easter. And so when I became Catholic, and really even when I started dating my husband, who at the time was Catholic, um, and going to St. Mary's, I was fascinated by the fact that people would willingly enter into a penitential season. And I was like, I remember asking my friends, can I do that with y'all? Like, is there like a, like 
is that a rule? Like, am I breaking any rules? And they're like, no, I mean, anybody can do this. And I credit my friends with that because, I mean, I was had a Lenten practice and I think I gave up like fried foods and then I ended up eating Chick-fil-A later that day. But I mean, I was trying to figure out like, how does this work? And so when I look at it now as a Catholic of 20 something years, and now I have kids and my husband, I think, you know, we, we sometimes focus so much on what are we giving up for Lent? And instead of saying, I mean, that's just the, that's just the conduit to getting us closer to Jesus. So some people give up ketchup, some people give up coffee, some people give up social media. Some people, I think one year, my kids gave up sleeping on their pillows, you know, so whatever it is, it's really less about the thing and more about like, I'm humbling myself here with Jesus so that I can grow closer to him. I can fall more in love with him. And I was so intrigued by that as a Protestant. I love Lent. It is my most favorite season. It's the most challenging for me spiritually, but it is, it's, I sort of feel like I like shift into fifth gear and really get closer to Jesus. If I can, if I can do it with the right heart, um, I feel like it's the season that my heart is most open to falling in love with Jesus. And as a Protestant, it's absolutely the thing that brought me closer to Christ and certainly closer to the church because I loved a church that didn't just celebrate the grand finale of Jesus being resurrected, but that talked a whole lot about Good Friday. And that meant a lot to me. It it said to me, this church cares about the whole person and also the whole life of Christ and how do we get closer to Him. I, I could talk about Lent forever, but I feel like Catholics focus so much on the, the thing that they give up instead of what happens when you give it up. Mm-hmm. I sort of got on my soapbox. Sorry, but I well, love I love this season. I just love it. Well, the point I feel what you're saying uh, out loud is that if this conversation about what you are, quotation marks, doing leads to someone else taking a step towards it, I think it's good. I I, uh, I call mine faith book, not Facebook, and I am very picky about what I post, if I even post, or the amount of time that I spend on it, but I really do make an effort. So I, I um, shared your blog post yesterday, and several people bounced back with saying, wow, what a different perspective. And it, I have been kind of chunky all my life. And so the idea of fasting being a part of your relationship with Jesus fell flat with me. It really took me a long, long time to embrace fasting and inviting Jesus into it. I think that, again, what I said earlier, uh, (laughs) the sin of pride comes up just so often in my my description. And now that when I see it, it, it's like well, that's spiritual growth for Judy and, you know, yay. But, uh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but again, I mean, it's the three, it's the three that work together. You know, people talk, I mean, fasting gets a lot of press time, but we also don't talk a whole lot more about like, what are you doing for prayer? Like what, what are you adding uh, to your Lenten process? And then almsgiving, like, what are you giving? Um, so though they're, they're meant, I mean, it's, the three, which obviously reminds us of the Trinity. But when you see those three, like they work in conjunction with each other. So instead of focusing so much on the fasting, I'll say like, yes, that's part of it. But you also have to forget, can't forget about the prayer and you can't forget about the almsgiving that they all work in beautiful harmony with each other instead of just solely focusing on what am I giving up? Like that's what everybody wants to share, right? In social media with their friends, like, what are you giving up? But 
I'm always an advocate of saying whatever it is that you choose to do during Lent, almsgiving, fasting, praying, at the end of the 40 days, it's the hope. And I had a priest say this one time, and I was like, yes. He said, you shouldn't have to tell anybody anything because by the time you get to the end of the 40 days, people are going to see it. They're going to experience it because you're going to be transformed in either a big way or a small way. Maybe you're more generous. Maybe you're more patient. Maybe you're you're more willing to talk about your faith publicly, but they'll be able to see it because you've been transformed by the 40 days, not just checked all the boxes. And that, that hit me too. It was, it was a good reminder of what this whole season really is about. Yes, I agree. Um, I have been I I play poker on Tuesday nights and I've been playing with the same group of people for oh probably seven or eight years and um, probably five years ago and knowing being from this area I know some of them I know this one goes to St. Joseph's and this one don't know him but or even any of their faith journey but someone made the point hey today's uh, Fat Tuesday, so don't look for me on Word with Friends because I'm giving up social media. And this other non-denominational guy, could, tell me, why do y'all give up stuff for Lent? And we had a good 30-minute conversation of con- contributing while we're playing poker. So I call it my poker ministry, <laughs> but last night, um, this guy, Scooter, we're going to pray for him, Uh I said, hey, it's our anniversary of talking more about Lent. And through this conversation with him, another guy who is a Pentecostal started asking questions. And so who would have thought at a poker game? So that's just how my world works. You know, I also have an H-E-B ministry. that (laughs) I've had many spiritual conversations over choosing a really good bell pepper. But I think that uh, (laughs) our lives can, uh, again... It's not putting your faith life in a box and putting your recreational life in a box. They need to all blend together for a big spiritual bottom line, I think. And that, that's what I think we're talking about, how Lent can transform us. And shouldn't, if you've given up a bad habit, please don't pick it back up on, <laughs> on Easter right. Sunday. <laughs> right. Well, and I think what what you're speaking to, and I think, you know, what I shared in the book and, and the kind of life that I try to live is, I think we sometimes forget it, that it's the same Jesus. I mean, I try to live an ecumenical life. In other words, like, I had friends reach out to me who are not Catholic uh, in the last 24 hours and say, hey, I was intrigued by that, or hey, you know, maybe I'm thinking about giving something up, or I've been doing this thing, and I don't think I should do it anymore. Mm-hmm. Do you have a suggestion of something else I could do instead? And I mean, and isn't that the point? Like, the point is, is to get all those people, like nobody wants to show up to heaven by yourself, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there's not just a certain kind of person that's going to get into heaven. It's, it's people that, that have dedicated their lives towards Jesus. And our, our goal is to find all those people that, that need Jesus in their life or that have Jesus and need to grow in relationship with him and like bring them along because we weren't meant to live in isolation. We were meant to live in community. And I think Lent provides us a beautiful opportunity. We would be remiss if we didn't see the opportunity to say what a public t- day today, certainly as everyone's marked with ashes, um, to witness to our faith and to be a faith um, of welcoming and of and of love and, and encouraging people to find this Jesus that we are willing to give these things up for because we want them to know and love him too. And I see it as this is a great opportunity to evangelize 
to other Catholics, but to other people in our lives, regardless of what their faith background may be. Oh, I agree. Um, I uh, love the way that your description is. Uh, in your blog yesterday, I thought it was really interesting that you uh, you can't give what you don't have, so working on your own Lent will spread out into those that you're in relationship with. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're just doing Lent and trying to get your kids to do all the coloring activities and all those sort of things, but yet you're not taking care of your own faith life, I mean, you're just checking the boxes. You're just doing the rubric. And your kids will eventually see that. And I mean, I had, I'll be honest, I mean, there were a lot of Lents that my kids slayed Lent. Like we were doing a Lent so great. And I got to Easter and I was like, well, there's another terrible Lent because I hadn't taken the time to even focus just a little bit on my own faith life because I had poured it all into my kids. So I think there's a balance. And I think you only find balance when you get off balance. Like when you're like, well, that was terrible. Let's try that again. And thankfully, the liturgical season and the liturgical calendar allows us to keep trying again with every new season. So I don't fault myself for doing it wrong or for doing it poorly back then because I was learning. And now that my kids are older, I have learned to chill out a little bit with Lent. And I've also learned to take care of myself so that I can lead my kids. I mean, ultimately, my kids are not going to be here forever. They're going to go off to A&M or wherever. And I want, I hope that my greatest gift that I give to them is the love of Jesus, that they take it with them and that they make it their own, you know, that they find a way to have their own relationship with Jesus. And it wasn't just about the coloring sheets that we did, you know, when they were little. Maybe that was the start, but hopefully we've grown in maturity and wisdom over these years. And so, yeah, you got to you gotta fill yourself. We say you can't, you can't feed other people if you're not feeding yourself first. So it's important to take care of your own spiritual life for sure. Yeah, and, and uh, just accepting the day for what it is rather than, it is Lent. I said we're going to the Stations of the Cross, <laughs> right. and by ding-dong, we are going to do that. Get in the car. Why not just sit in your own living room, relaxed and calmer, and pray the Stations of the Cross with your family there at home? Nothing wrong with going to the, you know, the, the we have rituals. Our church is rich and beautiful with opportunities, but, you know, look at the big picture. Can I, can I yes, jump in real please quick? please do. I think also in those situations, it's so many times it's about how you present things to your family or to your spouse or to other people you're in, you're in communion with. So if it's a stressful evening and you're trying to, to get to stations of the cross, for example, a lot of it is just maybe stepping back and taking a 30 seconds or a minute, kind of gathering the family and saying, you know, why are we doing this? We're, we're making a sacrifice of our time to go and pray and be with the Lord in this special way. And these are the things that we're going to, going to think about. And so it's, you know, it's gathering yourself and, and recentering yourself on why you're doing things so many times rather than, um, just, you know, ramrodding it and, and doing it because that's what you're supposed to do, quote unquote. Right, right, I agree. I, and also, we're here talking about the Stations of the Cross. I think there's so many times in our in our church, in our Mass, in our teaching, in our bulletin, we talk about things and assume people know what the Stations of the Cross actually are. If you don't, didn't grow up with that 
devotion, we may have listeners today that are kind of scratching their heads saying, what are they talking about? So, uh, and the opportunity to pray the Stations of the Cross other times, it could be a year-round devotion, but uh, I think that a, a good teaching on the Stations of the Cross <laughs> is necessary sometimes. Mm-hmm. And maybe um, just focusing on one aspect, one station can make a very dynamic turn in your Lent. I think I was Catholic a good decade before I even recognized that there were, because I looked at my husband and I said, what, what, y'all keep talking about stations across, what are those? And he said, Catherine, take a look around the church. They're all, the, and I was like, that's what those are. Like, oh. I had no idea. I mean, you know, so, and I don't think I'm alone. I think there's a lot of people that just see that as just another piece of artwork in the church that they walk by every day and they don't recognize what it is. But the grace part is that, Hey, the really cool part is that when it really was a dumpster fire, when we took our kids to Stations of the Cross, that we could still get the same meaning and the same beauty and the same grace, and we could do it at home. Just like when our kids were itty-bitty, we used to wash their feet on Holy Thursday because taking four kids under the age of whatever it was, six, I think, to an hour and a half or two-hour mass after 730 when that was their bedtime was completely unreasonable. Like, it was miserable for everyone, but we could do it at home. And then when seasons change, then now we do it differently now. But I love that the church allows us the flexibility to continue to celebrate beautiful traditions like that, but that there's a lot of different ways to do it. But yet it's the same grace. And I'm grateful for that because I think that's a church that sees that, you know, the sanctity of all different seasons of life and how you can worship Jesus no matter where, where you are in your life, whether you're homebound or whether you're widowed or whether you're married with a bunch of kids or whether you're single, that same grace applies to everybody. Absolutely. And being the universal church and you can experience, it's going to be a little bit different, but the same all at once, especially the holy sacrifice of the mass. Uh, Catherine, we have just a couple of minutes. I want to give you the opportunity to talk about how people could contact you, talk, mention your book again, mention your blog, Team Whitaker, barbecue, Dr. Pepper. (laughs) Yes, I know. I love barbecue. Yes, so you can find me online at teamwhitaker.org or on social media, kwhitaker96. That's a good Aggie ending. My uh, class year is 96. So, yeah, I'm on social media, Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, Facebook, all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I mean, I think I would hope that people would, if, they, if they're staying on social media, that they would continue to find people that, that inspire them in faith and grace and Writing the book was a real, um, that's how I pray to Jesus is through writing. And so writing it was one big love letter to Jesus that also um, talked about our big barbecue pilgrimage. So there's all sorts of crazy stuff in there. But yeah, you can find me in all those places. Wonderful. So we're going to, on a day that's not Ash Wednesday, I'm going to invite you to come back, uh, to come to St. Mary's. Uh, that's where our radio station is. I don't know if you knew that or not, but in the in the I student did. center. Uh, to come on back when you come here, when we can meet you, and you can go take your son to lunch. And I will do that. I don't think he'll. I don't think he'll argue. So that sounds like a good deal. For well, everybody. I will take him to lunch for you if you want to try to make <laughs> oh, that connection. But uh, the I've been talking with Catherine Whitaker. Her book, "Live Big, Love Bigger." You can find her on social media. Really enjoyed our conversation. We. Hope and pray that our listeners can embrace the season of Lent 
that we can grow throughout this um, season. I am struggling to open up. I'm going to close with a little teaching on Lent and the fact of ashes on our forehead. The act of applying ashes to our forehead symbolizes our mortality as well as our need for ongoing repentance. Ashes are applied to our forehead in the sign of the cross as the words, Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return, are spoken to us. The other formula which is used is turn away from sin and be faithful to the gospel. This emphasizes our call to continual conversion and holiness of life. We don't wear ashes to proclaim our holiness, but to acknowledge that we are sinners in need of repentance and renewal. God bless you. Talking